chapter 21. We'll be reading Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. So Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, to, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. And may God bless this reading of his holy word. Well, there are times in my faith journey as I've been learning to grow in Christ and things like that, that I have missed out on some great passages of Scripture and some great messages that they contained because I believe that some parts of the Bible just didn't have anything for me. Now, I know none of you would be like that. You love the begots, don't you? Yeah? You get right into those sides of things. You love Revelation as we've just covered in those things. But I think this passage that we've just read this evening is one of those passages which seems to be a transitional period between this incredible ministry that Jesus had, all the miracles and everything that he did there, and then that other bit that we get our teeth into as well. You know, we're about to come into that stage where, you know, Jesus has the Last Supper in the upper room with his disciples. I mean, that was such a powerful story, wasn't it? And then he's going to um, have Judas betray him. And it's like, wow, yeah, I remember that story. I get into that. That, that's quite good. I don't understand it, but, you know, that happened. Then we have Jesus' trial, his beating, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. We know all that stuff. And it seems like this bit is just this, okay, we've got to get from here to here. Let's just write this little bit in here, and that'll get us from where we need to be. And so the abridged version of what we've just read goes something like this. Jesus was near Jerusalem, and he sent a couple of his mates um, to go and get a donkey, and they brought it out to him, and he sat on it. And while he was riding this donkey into Jerusalem, there was these people who threw their cloaks on the ground for him, and some more waved leaves around and things like that. And uh, they sang Hosanna as well. So it's all very nice, isn't it? And if you're like me, I would have just brushed over that. I wouldn't have dug any deeper. I wouldn't have looked for what God was trying to say. But I want to encourage you. Everything that is contained in God's word is there for a reason. And if you can't see something at first, we need to dig a little bit deeper. We need to ask God, why have you put that there? What can you teach me? What are you trying to show me? Because it is not insignificant. And uh, I've had a great time going through this. In fact, I had to cut back what I was going to speak on. There's just so much that you can learn from this passage of Scripture. So let me pray and then we'll get into it. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence, your power, your love that goes with us. I thank you, Lord, that you can teach us so much from your word. And so, Father, we want to be open to what you have to say this evening. 
Will you guide us through this message, Lord? Will you open our hearts, our minds to hear from you? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, I had this difficulty in deciding which bits I should tell you tonight, which bits I shouldn't. And uh, there's so much information that it makes me look like quite an idiot when I actually say or imply that there's very little for us to gain from this passage of Scripture. So uh, I hope you come along for the ride. And uh, if anything confuses you, um, please come and ask me about it. I'll send you more information and things like that. And the first thing I want to talk about tonight is the fact that uh, Jesus... I was told there's going to be issues. Jesus prepares to enter Jerusalem. When you hear the name Jesus, I wonder what you think. Uh, I have this habit now, my, my mind seems to default to something along the lines of John 1.1. 1, 1. You know that bit that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the way I have a tendency to think about Jesus. And so we think about Jesus as he prepares to enter Jerusalem. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Jesus always has been. He always will be. And so it stands to reason that as he prepares to enter Jerusalem while on this earth, he may well have been preparing for it long before that. He always was. He always will be. And there's this Jewish rabbi, Leopold Cohn. And he's quite a controversial figure, and there's reasons for that, because the Jews now hate him. And um, I don't know how much of what's said about him is true or not, but the bottom line is uh, he, he wanted to find out the truth about Jesus Christ. And he ends up coming to faith. And this rabbi is responsible for having the largest and most successful evangelical mission to Jews. And uh, he was concerned at one stage in his life, that the long-awaited Messiah should have already come, and he didn't understand why he hadn't. And so he did some research himself. He did something that a lot of Jews were forbidden to do. He opened the book of Daniel. And the reason they're forbidden to do so is because they've misunderstood what Daniel actually said, according to other Jews. And as he read through Daniel, he found four things that he found totally fascinating. Blew him out of the water changed everything for him and it was pretty close to being the reason why he came to faith the reason why he became a christian i'll let you guys go and find out what the truth is as to how he became a christian it's quite interesting too but the first thing that he learned was that the messiah would appear at a set time did you know that it's actually in scripture when he studied daniel as a jew he read about the vision that daniel had received and that the messiah would come 483 years after the command to restore Jerusalem and the temple. And so when we look back at Daniel 9.25, we see that it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And it was Nehemiah who received this message. And I know as I've read that out, it's a bit confusing. But the king issued a decree at that time to rebuild the temple and to restore the city of Jerusalem. And this is the only decree where the temple and Jerusalem are mentioned together. And when he says that, he says that that's when the time will start for when the anointed one will actually appear in Jerusalem. And so the clock starts at that time. And to cut a long story short, because there's all these mathematical equations and things that they do, because the Jewish calendar was 360 days for a year, not 365 like ours. So there's all this stuff you've got to muck around with. But to cut that long story short, 
Everyone agrees who's gone through this that the promised Messiah should appear before 33 BC. Coincidence? I don't think so. In fact, a lot of writers can pinpoint the date when he would be revealed. That was Palm Sunday. Although, it was really a Monday. And so the day we celebrate as Palm Sunday is the day that was prophesied about right back in Daniel. And the second thing that he found was that the second temple would still be standing. When did the second temple get wiped out? AD 70. Okay, so it was 40 years basically, a generation after Christ died, rose, ascended. And so AD 70, the temple was actually wiped out. This is the second temple. And again, the fact that this should be standing is based on a number of passages of Scripture. But again, it's in Daniel 9.26 where it first appears. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. If the sanctuary is to be destroyed, it must still be standing. And so this is the, this is the prince that is coming. This is Jesus, the Messiah. And, and so it still had to be standing at that time. And further to this, Psalm 118 says... Um, and the rabbis, all Jewish rabbis, believed this psalm would be sung to the coming Messiah. And so this Psalm 118 says, um, Sorry, I'm not with it tonight. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. What's the house of the Lord at that time? The temple. So when the coming Messiah comes, how can he possibly be blessed from the temple if the temple isn't standing? So again, that temple needs to be standing. And the rabbi said that the only way that he can be blessed is because of that. And there are other references too, but we, we really do need to keep moving. So the third thing that this rabbi found was that Messiah's, the Messiah's lineage is specific and it can only be verified through the temple records. So... Way back in Genesis, we read this, and, and this, is, this is amazing. I, there's so much other stuff too, but I had to limit what we could actually do. So in Genesis 49.10, this is the first book of the Bible. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute or Shiloh comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And for those of us who study the promised Messiah, we know that he was not only to be from the lineage of Judah, but uh, also from the house of David. And this passage is saying that Judah will remain until the tribute or Shiloh or Messiah comes. That's what tribute and Shiloh means in this context. They're speaking about the Messiah again. And Judah was maintained through their 70 years of exile or captivity by Babylon. And they remained so. They were a people until the Romans uh, made the kingdom of Judah a uh, Roman province and later between 132 and 135 AD they changed the name and Judah was no more and so Judah was maintained because those records had to be in the temple so that they could check to see that Jesus was who he claimed to be and what's incredible here is in 132 135 AD when the Sanhedrin in Judah was stripped of all its authority so it's being wiped out it is not going to be anymore what do you think the Jews in that place did who didn't believe in Jesus even though he'd come they actually put on sackcloth they poured ashes over their heads and they exclaimed woe unto us for the scepter has departed from Judah and Messiah has not yet come they knew 
the scripture was broken in their opinion because they missed Messiah. If they believed Jesus was Messiah, it wouldn't have mattered. And so they're, they're just broken because in their opinion, Messiah hadn't come and God's word hadn't been fulfilled. And so Judah did remain until Messiah came and his lineage was confirmed through the temple records and they were all destroyed in AD 70 in the temple fires. The records are no more. They served their purpose. And so Luke and Matthew actually carry the genealogies that tell us that Jesus did descend from those places. The other thing that is said in scripture and that he found was that the Messiah would die a violent death. And Leopold found this as as the final thing uh, in his research, that the Messiah would suffer a violent death. And again, it's in Daniel 9.26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And what is translated here, cut off, literally means to be killed or die a violent death. That's what the translation is. And this was nothing new to Judaism. Isaiah wrote that one would suffer and die for the sins of the people. Psalm 22 clearly describes the death by crucifixion that Jesus would suffer. And for some, and for most of the Jews, they were blinded to what was actually going on. They didn't understand the truth of their own scriptures. And so Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on this day, what we celebrate as Palm Sunday, was something that was known before time itself. And it is part of God's greater plan. And there are many prophecies, scriptures and indications that Jesus was exactly where he should be at exactly the right time. And he was fulfilling scripture in what he did. And we see that Jesus enters Jerusalem as a holy king. Now, I I don't know if you're excited about that stuff I've just shared. I I think it's mind-blowing that we've got so many confirmations from scripture. And as I say, I've only just touched on it briefly. And I became more and more excited. I think Elena got tired of me screaming out to her about the stuff I was finding and things like that. But, but I, I, I did find it incredible. And uh, then we come to this in Matthew 21, 2 and 3. And Jesus says to his disciples, Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. And of course, we know that that actually happened. And there's something that is assumed in the Matthew passage, uh, which is made more clear for us in the Mark passage of the same account. And in Mark 11:2, it says, Go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat untie it and bring it to me so here there's only one animal mentioned in the other one there's two animals mentioned and in fact as you read this there's a hint as to the fact that there's a second animal because you know this animal is an unbroken animal when they're unbroken they're alongside their mother and so in the Matthew passage what would happen they would bring both animals because there's no way you'd be able to guide this colt on its own but if you have the mother there it will follow the colt Uh, it'll the colt will follow it quite willingly And that's exactly what happened in this case. So there's two animals, they get their cloaks thrown over and Jesus sits on the colt. Why did he sit on the colt? When we think about everything to do with the temple, when we think about uh, all the things that God does and everything that he uses for holy purposes, everything in those cases were animals that had never been used for any other purpose. We think about the uh, heifers in Numbers 19.2 and Deuteronomy 21.3. They were animals that had never been used for any other purpose. They had never had a yoke put upon them. 
and possibly closer um, to, to this comparison that we've got with Jesus is the two cows that were used to pull the cart that the Ark of the Covenant was put upon. The Ark of the Covenant, when they wanted to move that, they would make a new cart specifically for that purpose. It was never used for anything else. And the two cows that they used to pull that cart with the Ark of the Covenant on it were two cows that had never been used for any other purpose. They'd never had another yoke laid upon them. They were set apart to be used for a holy purpose. And, and so when we think about Jesus standing outside of Jerusalem, our sacrificial lamb, his purity, his holiness is emphasized by the fact he sat on a cult that had never been used for any other purpose. And as Jesus descends from the Mount of Olives, who's been to Israel? Yeah, Mount of Olives, you sit up here, you can see where the temple is across the valley. Jesus is coming down. And as Jesus comes down, like, it, it, it's incredible when you think about what was going on in Jerusalem at this time. We don't know exactly how many animals were sacrificed, but about 10 years later, a census was taken and there's 250,000 lambs sacrificed for the celebration of Passover. 250,000. When you consider that one lamb can do up to 10 people, that's a lot of people. And so as Jesus is coming down, there's these crowds who are just rushing out of the city to see what is going on. And, and, and they see this guy on this donkey. And we're told that as these people came out, they, they, they spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road of the world as well and they were waving them. Spreading your cloaks on the road. The only other example we've got of this is when uh, King Jehu was proclaimed king in 2 Kings 9, 13. And his friends took off their outer garments and laid them on the steps so that he could walk on them. It was an act of submission. It was an act of saying, you rule over us. You have authority over us and we are willing to humble ourselves before you. And we've got these people rushing out of the city, taking off their outer, outer garments, laying them on the road and saying... In fact, you are the king. We submit to you and your authority. And then there's these other people who, who got these branches and, and they were laying them on the road as well. And that's also a, a, a sign. It's a celebration. And, and we have an account, uh, not in scripture, but uh, the Maccabees. And, and uh, when Simon came back from a notable victory the the crowds rushed out to him and they had the palm trees and they were waving the branches and they laid them on the road before him it was an acknowledgement it was an honor for someone who had a great victory again they were noting uh, a great work that had been done and they were doing this for Jesus and then the crowds shouted Hosanna I wonder what you think of when you hear that word Hosanna I said I'd return to Psalm 118 this is where it comes in Look at what is said in Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Where it says, save us. That's Hosanna. That's the translation of what's actually being said in the New Testament. 
This is God's people crying out for him to deliver them. And they misunderstand why Jesus, why Messiah was coming. We see Jesus riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He's coming as a king. But when you're on the foal of a donkey, you're coming in peace. If you were coming to fight, if you were coming to overthrow someone, you would come on a stallion. Anyone read anything about Jesus on a stallion? When he returns, it's in Revelation. He's coming to overthrow the powers on the world at that time. As he rides into Jerusalem, he is on this cult. He comes in peace. That's exactly what he's saying. But the people that are there have totally misunderstood why he is coming. They thought Jesus would overthrow the Romans. They thought Jesus would use this incredible power that they've seen glimpses of to rid them once and for all of those people. And here they are celebrating the Passover. And the Passover is when they were delivered from those evil dudes in Egypt. What greater time than now for Jesus to rise up and overthrow this Roman Empire? They thought that Rome was the great enemy, that the Messiah would come and smash the yoke of the Romans and return the Jewish nation to that position of favour in God's righteousness, they will be, once again, his holy chosen people, set aside from everyone else. But they failed to see Jesus didn't come to conquer Rome. His purpose was much greater than that. He came to conquer sin and death so that we could have peace between us and God, all mankind could have a relationship with him once more. The people also declared that Jesus was the son of God, the son of David. And this was a title that was most commonly used for Messiah. And although they said these words, it can be rightfully asked, did they even know what they were saying? They didn't understand Jesus' kingship or the kingdom that he would reign over. They declared Jesus as king. And more than that, they saw him as the promised Messiah. But it was an empty declaration. They didn't mean it. What they said was true, but their hearts were cold. They were not moved to follow. They were not moved to obey. They wanted Jesus' rule over them on their terms. To do what they wanted. And because he wasn't who they expected and didn't do what they wanted, it wasn't many days until they turned against him. And then we come to this. Who is this? This is part of the passage we've read as well. And when I think about everything else that we've looked at and all the evidence that points to Jesus being Messiah, it's hard to understand how they arrived at this point. Matthew 21, 10 and 11 says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Only meters back up the road, they were declaring that this was the Messiah. They were declaring that this was the son of David. They were declaring that this is the one that they had waited for. And now as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's just a prophet. Nothing special. The evidence was there. 
but they chose not to believe. They heard, but did not perceive. They saw, but did not understand, because their hearts were hard. And Jesus' message was clear. His anointing was evident through his miracles. His kingship was declared by them, and they rejected him because they were focused on earth. They saw the restoration of the kingdom that they had known of greater value than anything else that Jesus could offer. Their focus was on something that was temporal, something that would always be far inferior to what God intended for us. And I suppose the question is, the same for us, who is this? We come to this season where we reflect on what Jesus did. And I love the Lord. I try to live for him. I try to know him. And I can't count the times in my life when I don't understand why he does some of the things he does. I have my expectations of what I believe God should do. And when he doesn't do those things the way I want him to do them, I question him. I question my own faith. Most of all, I question whether this life's worth it. Why do we do what we do if it's really going to be this hard? I wonder if you've ever been there where... God's let you down. That's the way we say it, hey? He hasn't done what you thought he should do. He hasn't come through for you in a certain way. Have you ever been angry at God? I know some of the times I've prayed to God has been in anger. He still hurt me. But have you ever been angry with God? Angry enough to turn away? Angry enough to deny him? Angry enough to kill him if you could? You know what? As I prepared this and I thought about the season that we're entering, it's obvious that Jesus has been through all that. There's nothing I can think, do or say that hasn't already been done to him. And it's the same for you. There's nothing you can think, do or say that hasn't already been done to him. And because he knows us, and because he's been through it all before, he's more than willing to forgive. He's more than willing to welcome you back. He waits with outstretched arms. We need to ask seriously, each one of us, of ourselves, who is this? Who's the guy we celebrate this season for? He is, quite simply, the Holy King. He is the Messiah. Believe it or not, it's your choice. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that it challenges, instructs and guides us. And Lord, I thank you, I thank you for what this rather simple passage has said to me as I've prepared this message. And Lord, I pray that some of what you've told me has been relayed to those who are listening tonight. But Lord, more than anything, I pray each of us will ask, who are you? And Lord, we'll consider our lives before you. We'll consider the actions we have to take in order to make you Lord and Saviour of our lives. Father, we don't always get it right. And you know that. But Lord, you want so much to have us as your children. So Father, if you've spoken to anyone here tonight, please stir them, give them that courage to come forward and speak or pray with me, pray with someone around them, Lord. We want to see people move closer to you. And Lord, especially at this season, let us reflect on the incredible sacrifice of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the incredible cost, Lord, that he paid so we could have relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.